Hi, and welcome to Crisis Conversations, a podcast from the British Red Cross. Last night, a tiny boat carrying what's thought to be 700 migrants capsized somewhere between the Libyan coast and the Italian island of Lampedusa. Most people here dream of reaching Britain. Some have family there. Only a few actually make it, but it's enough to keep hope alive. Today we'll be talking about the current situation for refugees and asylum seekers living in the UK. This is one of the biggest areas we work in, with many refugee centres and projects running up and down the country. But also, we try and make sure that refugee and asylum seekers' voices are represented in Parliament. There is an estimated 65 million people displaced from their homes across the world. However, in the UK, there were just over 15,000 of them who were given refugee status last year. Here with me now is Alex Fraser, Head of Refugee Services at the British Red Cross, to give us an overview of what happens to them on arrival. Refugees and people in the asylum system uh, are not allowed to work whilst they're awaiting the outcome of their asylum application. You know, they enter a system uh, where if they um, are able to prove that they would otherwise be destitute, they will get uh, some form of accommodation, that's accommodation on a no-choice basis. Uh, they will also be able to apply for some subsistence support, and that's around £5 a day. And we find through our uh, operational activities that a large number of those people, during that asylum process, they're hungry, they're becoming homeless, and they're in real extreme poverty. There's many reasons for that. Often it can be because they haven't yet been able to access the support that they are entitled to. And in some cases, it's actually people who have been given refugee status who are falling into destitution, who then have a very short period of time to make the transition from the support they receive in the asylum process through to being able to work or claim mainstream benefits or universal credit. Um, it's 28 days. Now, that's not a very long period of time. One very straightforward thing that could be done to help that situation is to extend the move-on period. So we had our latest destitution and poverty stats released this week, which shows an increase in the number of refugees and asylum seekers falling into that poverty. Do you have any ideas why that's happening? Well, it's often because of fear, because people, they worry about what might happen if they do engage with what they would describe as authorities, because often people live in the, in the shadows of society. But one of the things that we do is we help people to understand what their rights and entitlements are, try and get them back onto support if that's an option for them. And in the meantime, we provide some basic assistance in the form of food parcels, uh, cash support, help people get uh, the transport that they need to get to vital appointments, and try and line them up with some emergency accommodation as well. But it's a really challenging situation, and I think people don't always perhaps realise that life in the asylum system can be that tough. We need to um, make sure that uh, the quality and the duration, the amount of time people have to wait for decisions, is more, uh, more acceptable. But whilst people are waiting for those decisions, often because they're not allowed to work, people experience huge uh, degrees of, of loneliness. Um, it's very isolating to find yourself in a country where perhaps you're cut off from network, cut off from family, cut off from friends. I mean, one of the things that always strikes me when I meet people um, at all those different stages in the asylum process is just how much they have to offer. That leads me on quite nicely to thinking about the future and how, you know, how do we improve the system? How do we stop refugees becoming destitute and in poverty? How do we make asylum claims not such an arduous process for people? It's a good question. I mean, one of the things that really matters to us as the Red Cross is that we really understand 
what it's like to be somebody in the asylum system or somebody who is has become a refugee uh, and what that feels like, what matters to them, and from their perspective, what therefore needs to improve. And so we're very fortunate that we have a, a lot of refugees who volunteer and work for our organisation. And then if we look outside of the UK at what's going on in the world, as I said earlier, these terrible global crises that continue of conflict and persecution, it's really important that people are able to access safe legal routes to protection as early as possible. Now, for anyone who's granted a form of protection in the UK as a refugee, you also have the right to apply for your close family to join you. We think we can do more as a country in terms of refugee family reunion. We need to think about the current rules. They're a bit too restrictive. We want them to avoid those dangerous journeys, you know, and that could be possible if we just had a slightly um, broader set of criteria to enable them to join family in the UK. And there's a really important process going on just now, a private members bill, which is being read in Parliament. And if there's one thing I would want people to perhaps think about doing, encourage your MP to turn up, show their interest, understand more about the issue and hopefully support it so that we can see more families brought together, families who've been torn apart by terrible, terrible conflict and persecution, together again, living safely to rebuild their lives in this great country of ours. And if you do nothing other than say welcome to anyone, actually, who's trying to rebuild their life here in the UK, having faced such terrible conflict and persecution, well, at least that's a start. There's a great phrase, which is, say it loud, say it clear, refugees are welcome here and that's something that I can't say loudly enough. There are many people in Syria who just do not believe that there will be a political solution to this crisis, this war, this civil war that has been raging for so long. We are proposing that Britain should resettle up to 20,000 Syrian refugees over the rest of this parliament. Joining me on the phone now is Sleman Shweish. He's a Syrian refugee living in the UK and who now works for the British Red Cross. Sleman, can you take us back to when you first got to the UK? What kind of journey had you been on and what was it like to arrive in a strange new country that you didn't know? It was a new rule in Syria. When you finish your studying, you should and you must uh, join the army. And because of that, I decided to not join the army because I don't want to kill my people. I came to Heathrow. Uh, in London. I don't think that I will never ever forget this moment. So they leave me in a waiting room in the airport and they told me that uh, the the staff from home office, they will come tomorrow morning to to do the interview. So I can remember on that night, I couldn't sleep any, any, any minutes. I was so happy that I finally, like I did it and I arrived in a safer place. So finally I can continue my studying as a part of my dream. On the same time, I was really sad because, like, it was difficult moment when I start thinking that I can't see my family anymore, and I can I can't see uh, my house, my home, everything. I think it's fair to say that many people in the UK find it hard to imagine what it's like to be a refugee. So, what would be the one thing that you would love for people to understand about? what it's like to leave your home and seek asylum somewhere thousands of miles away? It's really difficult to to answer this question. It's just because I can see many actions and many people that are refusing their refugees, not only in the UK, in the whole world. And I maybe totally understand that. I, I, I understand that maybe they are refusing us. This is because they don't know anything about us, because they only have like maybe the negative 
So, like the refugees and asylum seekers, first, they are human, like all the people. I think it's really important to remind everyone often that refugees are, you know, teachers, doctors, lawyers, artists, just like people in the UK, um, and have a lot to offer given the opportunity to. Exactly, exactly. So you're now working at the British Red Cross on one of our refugee programmes. Would you be able to just tell me what the experience of doing that has been like? Uh, the main challenging, it was like, um, as as you know, like I, I, I myself, I came as a refugee and I was dealing with refugees. So it was so difficult for me to, to hear these stories from these people and to try helping them, to try uh, translating these stories. But on the same time, I try my best to, to be strong and to be helpful for them. Thanks God, like it was really a great time because many of these people that been helping uh, that I helped them during the Red Cross has been like successful for many things. I I remember many families that we helping them as a family reunion and now they are join the, their families are joining these refugees and they are live, really living like together in a peaceful places which mean like which which made me really glad that like I can remember one day that I helped this guy. We've now got our third and final guest, Kalyani McCarthy, who's the project manager of our Surviving to Thriving programme, which focuses on young refugees and asylum seekers and building their confidence through weekly group sessions. So first question we've got for you is, how important do you think this kind of programme is in terms of people being able to integrate into UK communities? Integration can feel like a bit of a buzzword, I think, when it comes to refugee policy, but it's really important, isn't it, for people to feel like an active citizen? Absolutely. I think that um, the services that the Surviving to Thriving project collectively provides are absolutely vital for young asylum seekers and refugees in the UK. It provides the essential advice and support around their practical needs, whether this be finding a solicitor, understanding the asylum process or registering with a GP. The project also offers alongside that the therapeutic support that young people often need in this situation um, in order to come to um, start to come to terms with their past experiences. And finally, alongside all of this, it provides leadership and development opportunities, recognising that these young people, not only do they need support, but they also have a valuable contribution to make to society. Part of it is inviting members of the local community, so local organisations, that can do often taster sessions to the young people on things like um, the asylum process. So we did a, a partnership session with the Refugee Council where we spoke about different stages of the asylum process and how they can access support. We've also done drumming workshops. We had a recent one this week in Birmingham with an opera organisation. Um, so it's just really getting them the opportunity to try new things and then hopefully also ways that they can get involved independently in community activities. So what do you think is unique about you know, young refugee and asylum seekers experience? Yeah, there's there's lots of things that, that do make the experiences of young refugees and asylum, seek, asylum seekers particularly unique and challenging. All of the young people on the Surviving to Thriving project have either lost or been separated from family members on their journeys to the UK or, or in their country before they, they made that journey. Um, so f obviously that will affect them in, in many different ways and they'll have additional challenges, um, whether it's um, 
bereavement from those family members they've lost or, or the uncertainty of not knowing um, where their family members are or if they are alive. The one-to-one -one casework is, is invaluable and, and absolutely necessary, but it's also just about meeting other young people who they know have potentially had similar experiences to them and are facing similar issues um, knowing that they're not alone in that um, and also, yeah, just having a chance to have some fun. And, you know, obviously it's it's very difficult for them to switch off from what's going on and the uncertainty. I really want to end the podcast on a hopeful note. So do you have any good stories, um, you know, success stories of young people that you've worked with that you can share with the listeners? A lot of the issues and, and challenges that we've discussed briefly are very complex and often take um, months or even years to resolve things like age assessments and the asylum process although we've discussed some some of the negative um, challenges and issues that these young people face it is such a, a privilege to be part of this project because there's so many positive aspects of it one particular young person comes to mind who was trafficked to the UK and when he first accessed our, our program he was extremely withdrawn and, and sad and it was very obvious that he felt let down by the majority of the professionals that he'd come into contact with so far um, and he was just very confused about all of the processes that he was going through um, and although a lot of those are still happening we're still not sure about his, his future in the UK overall it's amazing to see the, the confidence um, how his confidence levels have Im improved dramatically um, he helped produce a film as part of the uprising program um, and he's told us that he just feels so much more supported um, and, and loves coming to the sessions and I think for me that is an example of although we can't solve problems immediately the project is just so valuable for providing that ongoing support. The British Red Cross has a long tradition of providing practical and emotional support to vulnerable refugees and asylum seekers in the UK. For more information on our work, please search Red Cross Refugee Support. Thanks to Alex, Sleman and Kalyani for joining us on this week's podcast. Credit for the news clips goes to the BBC, Channel 4 News and Al Jazeera. This has been Crisis Conversations, a British Red Cross podcast. Thanks for listening.